What are you doing? What are you doing watching this? What have you stumbled upon? It's not a recipe program. This is not the secret of what's happening with EastEnders. This is a little podcast which is going to take you underwater with myself, Mike Valentine, underwater cameraman on all the Bond films, etc. And I'd like you to come with us for a little while and share the hidden beauty of the underwater world. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. This is episode number... 37. Excellent. Welcome back. Um, so, coming at you from Bungie, it's myself, Ian. So, with us is... Gemma from Pickfield. I'm so glad you remembered your name there. Well done. <laughs> Excellent. We're off to a good start, everybody. So, um, I was looking online, Gemma, at... You know, I like to try and find some interesting facts. Whatever number episode we're up to. 37. Last, the last one we found out, it was... You know, Superman's not a particularly favourite one. So I was looking on for 37. What's interesting about 37? It's a funny number, you know. And Wikipedia, they do like to say, oh, you know, it's the number, it's following 36. And also, it's the number that precedes 38. Said, oh, well done. Thanks for confirming that. I couldn't have been able to know that. But there is no interesting facts apart from one. And I can't, unfortunately, I can't read it out because this is a family show Gemma yeah I know uh, you've told me already <laughs> I know so there is an interesting fact but you've got to look, go to the urbandictionary.com to go <laughs> look for that interesting fact and uh, you'll then if you do go there have a look and you'll realize why I can't read it out so Gemma what's coming up on this one so we are talking to we're talking to Mike Valentine from Valentine Filmed. Yeah. He's uh, an underwater filmmaker. He is. So uh, if you have seen any films in the last 10, 20 years, um, lot, most of the adverts, anything to do with water or underwater, uh, Mike and his team have been involved, I dare say. Uh, yeah. uh, so two stick in my mind. Go on then. Born Supremacy, where they drive off the bridge in the Land Rover. Yeah. The girl dies in the Land Rover, doesn't it? Spoiler alert. Yeah. So, and then Casino Royale in Venice, where the building falls into the canal. Another spoiler alert. Did it was it me or you know? Did you think as well that was actually a, a real building? Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. How, how it was done. But yeah, so we had a uh, a chat with mike and it was as i think we said on the last episode we had planned one hour uh to talk to mike and uh get to the bottom <laughs> of what it's like to be a underwater diver and videographer and um yeah two hours because it was just absolutely fascinating stuff wasn't it entertaining yeah entertaining fascinating everything all round rolled into one and um Hilarious, yeah. Hilarious, yeah, it was. And it, you're, you know, this is a really good episode, uh, quite funny. And Mike, as he says, he pulls out his e ego for this one. <laughs> yeah, and this is only part one, but wait till he gets to part two, it's even more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, lots of interesting uh, facts about what it's like to be, you know, part of the diving world and also you know in the 
in this world of film and adverts and all that sort of stuff. It's not a side that we know much about, really, is it, Jen? No, and yet lots of safety in the background, the safety dive is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's, it's good. And have you actually seen any in films? Yes. Gemma, <laughs> me and Gemma oh, often talk about films and the answer usually is from Gemma is that, uh, no, not seen that one. Not seen that one. No, not seeing one. I end up sending you a link on YouTube <laughs> for the trailers or something. Yeah, but I can say all the Mike Valentine films I think I've seen. Yeah, and there is quite a lot. So I'm proud of that. Uh, yeah, it's really good. It's absolutely uh, fascinating to hear how they do it. You know, and you can see why. You know, when you look at some of the the pictures and things, how uh, dresses and the actual artistic flows you see materials and light how it's you know how it changes underwater so it's really it's good it's good he is an amazing man yeah yeah Yeah. some brilliant stuff so uh i think it's enough of us apart from just very quickly um thank you and hello to our new patrons thank you very much for those who've signed up every little bit helps um just for the price of a cup of coffee you know, you can go on the Patreon website, look us up, the Big Scoop podcast, and you can help uh, submit, you know, help um, us turn these episodes and YouTube stuff out. So, um, And for them to get involved as well. So it's great to have some new people. I think we've had a handful. Yeah, so it's brilliant. So uh, it all helps. So thank you very much. Um, also, hello to our friend Blue O2. Blue O2 got some great offers now coming out. Uh just today, look on their website, blueo2.com. Go there, have a look. They are now diving in the Red Sea, the Galapagos and the Maldives. And uh, they've got some great offers out there. So um, no matter where you're listening to, um, you know, if you do get a chance, get on that website and have a look if you're interested in one of their liverboards. Yeah, definitely some great discounts. There is, yeah, I wouldn't mind myself. So uh, there's some you know, great stuff. I've dived the Red Sea on on the Blue Melody a couple of years ago. Absolutely brilliant. Rex and Reefs, uh, yeah, that's well worth doing. And they really do know how to look for you. Great, that was a great week. Do you know what? Even the captain hands you a cup of hot chocolate, Gemma. Yeah, that's you, good. You, on, the way, on the way back to the boat, you know, you, you, you're just getting your out of the um the water you're just getting your he's even helping you with the fins and your that fins sounds out. great yeah. he is you know and um there you go he's standing there with a cup of hot chocolate make sure you're all right and then next minute he's driving the boat brilliant you know great stuff great teamwork so blue o2 look them up also if you have a look we are also affiliated mem- uh affiliated partners to dji and paralens so if you're looking for any of their products, look us up because there's also, if you go visit us first, some great offers there. So yeah. uh, details either on the website or social media or on show notes, look it yeah. up. Or just drop us a message on social media or email. Yeah, and uh, we can send the links to you. So that's DJI drones and also Paralens cameras. Okay, well, anything else we need to cover, Jen? No, I think that's it. Yeah, well, I'm going to grab yourself a drink and we'll sit back and relax and have a listen.
funny. Uh, human beings, oh. with all their technology, and we always get excited when you can hear someone. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've got a little graphic for you. Ooh. Let's see. Da 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 dee. H2O. Oh, that's cool. Wow. I can yeah. send you any of these, but cinema, skinny mar, cinema H2O. That's wow. brilliant. <laughs> hey, guys, I thought you had better taste. <laughs> no. you're, you're interviewing an idiot like me. <laughs> we like to be wacky, so it's just like... <laughs> you're very safe today. My, my ego is in a lead-lined box buried in the middle of... Um, Trafalgar Square. Under, under, oh, you, you don't want that box to open. Now and again, he does let the lid lifts and to look red dots look out, you know. <laughs> but we want to keep it really informal because we don't want to be like. Oh, you know, no, 100%. I can tell that by the bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I like that little sneaky water bottle, which is probably full of vodka. I know what you guys are <laughs> You know that well. Right. Okay, then we'll crack on. Yeah. Okay. okay. So thank you for joining us, Mike. Um, from Valentine Films and first of all we would just like you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your... Oh okay, um, well I joined the BBC in the very early 70s and I wanted to be a cameraman but they said no we don't need cameraman you can be a sound guy so oh. that was fair enough but I soon took up diving as a hobby in the early 70s um, and actually joined the, what on earth were they called? The Bezac Club, probably number three or something. Um, and it was the United London Hospitals Diving Group, which was great because all the nurses and... No, 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 no. I'm being absolutely honest now. Because it was really great because all the technical research for the doctors and that. Um, and I was offered the opportunity of uh, going off um, to the Red Sea to do some, uh, to be a photographer uh, doing research work for the Cambridge Coral Starfish Research Group. And you paid to do that as well? Um, it, not paid, but who wouldn't at the very early days of their, um, you know, the diving, not even a career then, just a hobby. Oh, yeah. would you like to go to the Red Sea for two months living on a little um, wooden jetty, but built a mile out to sea on the edge of the main fringing reef and take pictures and, um, and go somewhere like that oh, wow. for, for two months. So I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, phew, you know, EastEnders is getting really good at the moment. Cherie's pregnant. Is she going to have the baby? I don't know. So I went, yeah. And so I managed to... Um, go there as the expedition photographer. Now, again, like most fairly well-known people, if they're really honest, in the early days, they lie their way into the industry. Now, until then, I had done for underwater photography what Donald Duck had done for speech elocution, which isn't much. So that afternoon, when they offered me the opportunity, I went and bought an Iconos, and, um, you know, read the, the, the instruction manual. Oh, do not try to change film underwater. Yeah. Good point. Always being good. Um, and, and took pictures in my local diving club and worked out how the camera worked. And then went off to the Sudan for two months mm -hmm. as the expedition photographer. Um, 
it was quite interesting. The, the Red Sea, as most people know, is a rift valley which has been pulled apart um, by Brexit. No, no, it's been <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been pulled apart slowly, slowly every year, a few millimeters. Um, and a, a mining company, um, on behalf of the Sudanese government, worked out that they could pull up nodules with manganese or I don't know all these sexy materials pull them up and then amongst all the mud and everything chuck everything out on the surface which would have then perhaps filtered down all over the reefs killing uh, well not necessarily killing but really giving a bad headache to the reefs the fish life etc so what they wanted us to do was to take photographs of the reef before and after an experiment they were going to do Right. Now that meant they, that um, we, we had um, little ropes spread over the reef for about 50 metres and then we would, I would swim with a little lead weight tied from my waist above the line along, forget digital technology, analogue technology, so I'd stay the same distance away and then all the pictures I took could be made into a, a huge long path yeah. so that you could see the beauty of the reef, not just a quick shot, but a, a fairly scientific representation of the reef as a before and after. But of course, I got, I got into photography and, and that was it. So when I came back to the UK, I, um, I went and actually joined Bee Soup and, and bought more cameras and got on the treadmill of thinking that the more the expensive the camera, the better your pictures would be, which is obviously not true. Um, and so it all, for me, it started like that. So I soon realized that as it was many years ago, you know, just to show people um, pictures of the Sudan and the beautiful um, um, views there, ordinary people if there's such a thing as an ordinary human being everyone was going like oh my gosh and I realized it was a sort of a key to a hidden world which we as divers even now we're privileged to go along sticking our heads under the water going back millions of years from an evolutionary point of view and going oh my gosh you know look at the beauty the hidden beauty and so that's that if you like was the big sort of key, clockwork key, wound up in my back of thinking, oh, I've got to get into this underwater photography business. Um, and that's how it started for me, taking lots of pictures. So, of course, because of my um, ego, and everyone is like, oh, what do you need to get on the film business? So, yes, the polite word is passion, but ego is probably another word. But the, the little droplet of ego, my drive and ambition. So I joined Bee Soup, um, won a few competitions there. And then I always wanted to paint a picture. Sorry, what do you mean you won some competitions? How do you mean you won some competitions? Oh, yeah, I just won a few um, i can't think the the um the world's best underwater photographer the most handsome. Oh, okay. right. uh, no uh, there was an inter the, the there was an international competition held in italy with p countries represented uh, from all over the world and a photographer and a model would go along um to in my year 91 i think that was that was ustica in italy and um you were all given a each country was given a little boat with a flag on and they were all lined up on the jetty and then you would go and obviously drill a big hole in Italy's boat no no you would you would good luck guys and you would get in your little boat and go off and, and look for a dive site 
and think of some weird ideas, okay. which was then judged. And in the village square, they displayed them all up for the public. And, and um, I think I won with six pictures. I think one was I took a wind-up record player, put some bread in the horn, and then had a, the, the, the model, the girl, sort of listening to the, uh, to the music, along with all the fishes. And that the fish are... going That's good. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but it was real. I took a, it was a wind-up record player and then got a 78 record and put that on and had that playing underwater while all the fishes are sort of as if they're all listening to this music, you know. It was a wood, wasn't it? Is that, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's quite wacky. And then other things like um, uh, I would have the um, uh, Francoise, my wife, who works with me all the time. And after 35 years of married bliss, <laughs> of married bliss, uh, we work together all the time. She produces with me now. And so I got her with a model looking over the edge of the boat and took a picture of them uh, with a wide angle lens and then rewound the film and started again because that was a photograph in the top of the picture about eight times, but there was nothing underneath. So I could rewind the film, go off, put a macro lens on, find some little um, lovely little corals and bits and bobs um, and photograph them in the bottom half. And then that was a double exposure as if the two people are looking down into the underwater world at the, um, at the, uh, at the beauty of the underwater world. And, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, being at an Italian competition, the cup is so big, even my ego can't lift it up or put it on a shelf. It's, um, I think it's, uh, I think this was it. So that was a lot of fun. And then there was the Bisu Trophy, which was voted by the public. Um, but because I had a bit of a wacky imagination, and that's not to say that other photographers didn't, but because I had a really, really wacky imagination, uh, our pictures that we always took together always stood out a little bit as being a bit different. Mainly things like girls wearing uh, long costumes underwater. Glowing um, and that. Uh, yeah, so... Um, but then, then I realised that, you know, the photography, what could I do with taking pictures? And back in the day, a lot of people would get two Kodak carousel projectors and synchronize them together with a, with a soundtrack, either on a reel-to-reel -reel or a cassette player. And you'd have audio visuals so that your first picture would start off to music. And then with a little control pad, which the device recorded, you could then control the slideshow. Now that's what many people were doing that were into it. But because of my ego, <laughs> I decided to hire Madame Tussauds um, uh, a huge dome that you see to this day on Baker Street, which used to be where they had a star projector inside. Um, and I hired that with 36 Kodak carousels in a big circle, all pointing up to the inside of this dome, and then took people on this amazing underwater journey with the star projector and everything. But I have to say, right, you know, and you, you've referred to your ego, uh, yeah. you know, quite a bit since. And I think, you know what, you need people like you. We need people who have got an ego because otherwise we never got to the moon. We were never, oh, you, technology would never have moved on. And yeah, and I, I, think that, I think that's true from, I think that's true from probably the first person 
like in Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, yeah. if they hadn't adapted, I mean, it, he infers with Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke's work as well, that the big monolith turned up and sort of gave them instructions. But the point is, I'd still like to think that if you've got four or five little camps together, you need someone. You always need that little bit of pioneering spirit and um, it doesn't matter if you're inventing a better banana sandwich <laughs> or, or Von Braun and his... Did you say like Shackleton, you know, yeah. uh, yeah. Ralph Fiennes, any of these people, mm. you know, you've got to have an ego to, like, to change the world. Give you progress as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think that's true. But I think it's also true... Um, Look, we can't think of it, it's, it's, a, it's terrible, because we usually think of, you know, if you say the word scientist, you think of a man, in my age group anyway. And it's, it's equally shared, as, we're, as I'm sitting obviously now, um, it's a girl, a boy, and their bicycle. <laughs> you member of the team. Yeah, yeah that bike, I'm, I'm under, I'm, I'm getting a lot of money from, um, from Sturmy Archer, the gear company, whatever. But the point is, it's in, it is true that you do need an ego to push on. But it's also sometimes a bit sad where I've talked to the public afterwards and some people say, oh, it's okay for you as if we're blessed with millions of pounds and stuff. We're not. It's anyone. I think everyone inside them has, has some of that drive and ambition. Who inspires you? Sorry? Who inspires you? Um, I think... Well, what inspires you? Well, do you know what? When I put my head under the water in Sudan, the first time I'd ever been anywhere as lovely as that, um, I looked at it and, and the very first thought in my mind, and I can remember it clearly today, is I've got to stop wearing my wife's underwear. I'm just stretching it. No, no. The, very, <laughs> the very first thought I had in my head when I looked underwater was, oh my God, I want to share it this. reminded me of something. I want to share this with us. <laughs> Why is the underwear stretching? No, no. I want to share this with as many people as possible. And that's why when I came back to the UK, I got, a, I got hold of Len, uh, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, the editor of Subaqua Scene magazine, and literally went in and said, please, can, we get, can I get a picture on the front cover of the magazine? Did the same to Diver magazine. Um, and just to try and share... The, the beauty with as many people as possible. But the big one for me, when I realized what I was doing and wanting to go a step beyond taking still pictures, was going to the uh, Madame Tussauds planetarium and then putting in those 36 Kodak carousel projectors, using the star projector, yeah. having um, um, a quadraphonic soundtrack written and I realized, as a friend said, what you're doing is you're making a movie, you're making a film, really. And so I then started to make um, uh, short films, which, you know, if you think of advanced photography with all the equipment we can now buy as the equivalent of standing under a shower and tearing up 10 pound notes, when you start making movies, you, even at a semi-professional level, you're tearing up 50 pound notes because it's so expensive. But that for me was another um, st step forward, if you like, was starting to make um, short films.
And that's what I started doing. I actually, um, the very first one I made was called The Silent World, after the name of Cousteau's famous film. Um, and then I started with a telephone on the seabed, which I took from home. It was ringing on the soundtrack. And then the girl goes along and she answers this phone in the Red Sea going like, what? And then a fish goes past. And that's how, that's how everything made a noise. So, for instance, if a little um, um, shrimp was sort of moving something along, there'd be the sound of a building site going along. If a fish swam past it would be um, a taxi going past and then he'd hide around the rock and then you'd hear the noise of the diesel engine running so it was you know I suppose what it was was how can you link together all of those images in the Red Sea and put them all together and the the common thread was sound why not use a soundtrack to join everything together yeah. Um, and that's why I call it the silent world. You know? Sound is so uh, intense sometimes in the sea, isn't it? Oh, it... Not always in a good way, you know. You yeah. Can really, I've never, on one of the dives, I, I can't remember, uh, one of the reefs, uh, reefs I was on in Red Sea, and beautiful landscapes, underwater mm. landscape, but you could just hear the noise and the clunk coming from the boat. You just like... But you know, the, the, scientifically, the interesting thing is we find it as human beings quite difficult to hear a correct stereo. And that's because the speed of sound underwater causes our head to be the size of an orange. That's the actual equivalent. So therefore, our brain, in trying to interpret the correct distance our ears are apart, um, gets confused and that's why it's actually quite difficult I mean we've all had it even you know UK waters a little speedboat goes overhead completely ignoring the dive flag obviously or trying to run it over um, you um, uh, you uh, you think where is that coming from and it's actually quite difficult um, to locate it and in fact we did an experiment once in my dive group where we had a diver sitting underwater, sort of blacked out mask, and above them was a big dial connected to a loudspeaker hanging in front of them. And wherever we moved the loudspeaker to, on, you know, sort of north, north, northwest, whatever, from west to east, we then played the sound and got the diver to point where the, the loudspeaker was. And they, they were all over the place. Really? So that was quite an interesting scientific experiment proving that, that most people, you know, unless you're Boris, who maybe has got the, the, the size, his head is the size of an orange, I don't know. Poor old Boris, love Boris. Um, it's very interesting that as human beings, we've developed in such a way that obviously sound is very important from us on land because it saved our lives from when we were in the trees, perhaps, of what's that noise? Even now, like, what's that noise? Or is that somebody behind me or whatever? And that helps keep fear, you know, whatever, keeps us alive. But underwater, the sound is amplified because water is such an interesting, dense medium. Anyone who's seen a, um, a submarine film, when they chuck off the depth charges to try and get a submarine, they're actually not giant bombs. They're, they're fairly small. Yeah. But that's because the density 
carries the explosion so that when it does go bang, it actually travels very efficiently to try and get the U-boat or, or whatever movie that you've been watching. Um, and, that, and so that's interesting. But I soon realized that as sexy as fish are, um, perhaps what was the next step for the next film? Um, and I thought, you know what? Um, uh, it, it, it happened to be, there used to be a TV program called Pebble Mill at One. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, that was a little um, uh, magazine program from Birmingham. Now, I'd started taking pictures of um, uh, some girls underwater wearing long red dresses and, and, and looking fantastic, but still going to the Red Sea because of the, yeah. the amazing beauty of the, the Red Sea. Um, and I thought, you know what? <laughs> the ego again I rang them up I rang up the office of Pebble Mill at One and said I think you should have me on the show because I'm doing something very interesting <laughs> the girl at the other end you know is obviously like oh really <laughs> um, keep him talking so with, she said well what do you do I said well I tie girls down to the reef in the Red Sea take away their air supply they wear a long red dress and sort of move around like this with me taking pictures of them as you would you know why wouldn't you and so the girl went oh that's sort of that's quite interesting and I got onto the program uh, in talking about you know how there's a camera that's what it looks like um, the beauty of the underwater world how even back then you know we talked a bit about you know pollution and protecting the seas and everything there's always that message which is vital um, but the other thing is a young long redhead headed girl was watching that program wrote me a letter saying Oh, I like your, your, your work as an underwater photographer. Seems really interesting. If you're ever up in Cambridge, come and, come and drop in. And uh, it'd be nice to meet you. So uh, I thought, oh, that's very nice. The fact that she bothered, you know, a schoolgirl. Oh, you can write. Oh, that's interesting. So she bothered to write this letter. So I rang her up and said, oh, hello, it's Mike. Um, thank you so much for the letter. She said, well, if, if you're ever coming to this little village in, in, um, up in Cambridge, um, uh, drop in and say hello. I'll get my mum to switch the swimming pool's heating on. Oh. That was me at the door. <laughs> By the time the phone dropped, I was 55 <laughs> <hours> north. <laughs> oh, hi, yeah, yeah, I happen to be passing. <laughs> swimming around the corner. So, um, um, Emma Crudson, her name was, lovely girl, beautiful long red hair. And her, her mum was, was a, a lovely lady, and, and their father had been a very famous helicopter pilot working on 633 Squadron, Battle of Britain, wow. um, seven Bond movies, doing all the aerial filming. And his son wanted to become a helicopter pilot. So the mum said, look, I'm putting all the money into my son to be a helicopter pilot to train. Would you like to, if you think that Emma is fantastic underwater and everything, would you like to make a little film using her? And I will give you the money to make the film. Wow. Brilliant. Mm. So we did. And we made a thing called Red Sea Mermaid. And we went off to the Red Sea again. But this time, every fish 
the dress that she she made the dresses took on the appearance so that if I've got her on the side of the reef next to a lionfish, oh, sorry, sorry, next to, say, a clownfish, suddenly she's wearing a, a yellow dress with a big stripe in it, um, looking absolutely uh, fantastic and wearing all these sort of weird dresses and things oh, underwater. So that was uh, turned into a little film. And then that went off and did the rounds and was on telly and everything. So I was like, oh my God. And then I got invited to, the, in, in the south of France at Antibes every year, there's an underwater festival where they have poetry, music, photography, black and white pictures, and they give them prize at the Antibes Film Festival. And we went there and won first prize with our little film. Mm. And it was there on stage that I got the idea for the next film because there was a guy, don't cry, it's not that sad. No, it is quite sad. Um, the, um, the, <laughs> so this is the first of eight hours. You'll get used to it. Don't worry. You'd pack sandwiches, didn't you? Because it's going to go on this one. Um, and so there was a guy playing the double bass. And behind him, he had a slideshow of um, whales and dolphins and all the bad things happening to whales and dolphins. But he would lick his finger and play the carcass of the double bass going, which would be the sound of the whales. And then he'd play the harmonics, which would make the sound of the dolphins. So I sat there and I went, cool, gosh. <laughs> I thought, gosh, um, blimey, I've got to grab hold of this guy because his music could be a, a fantastic soundtrack to a film covering the plight of whales and dolphins. You must have all this in your head, like, buzzing. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you don't even, you know, there's no need for, you don't want Mike on cocaine. It just, it just goes wrong. It's just, it just explodes. It's wrong. Mike's is on, on his own. He's on his own personal high. Um, so the idea is, uh, he agreed. We recorded his music. We started off in a lake in North Wales and we put him by the side of this beautiful lake with a long crane arm going over the lake and up onto him pulling out. And there he is playing the music and we use that as the link to go into the images of whales and dolphins and of all the, um, the terrible atrocities that were happening. Mm. So I, we were halfway through making this film when I got a knock on the door with a guy with a plastic bag, but there was this guy and he said, cause I needed some footage of, you know, what the Japanese uh, people were doing to, um, to, to all the whales and everything. And he turned up a complete stranger out of the blue and said, oh, I heard you're making this film about whales and dolphins. I said, oh, yes, we are. Hello. He said, well, I'd just like to say that I've been on board a Japanese whaler for two months um, with my Bolex because I blagged my way on telling the Japanese look, I think you're getting a bad press. I'm going to make a documentary about all the good things you're doing to killing these whales, those idiots. Um, and he said, I've got all this footage, which I don't need. Would you like it? Completely. I was waiting to see a halo and some angels flying around him with all this. Oh, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And we incorporated his footage. And he'd been on one of these trawlers where you see them dragging up these winky whales up the back 
and and just you know they they, they use other ships to actually um, fire a harpoon into their backs and the whale can live in agony for up to um, four hours uh, writhing around in agony and then they're pulled up and then they're processed into meat which is sold in restaurants and yet they say it's a research vessel uh, which is bollocks obviously um, and so he had all this intimate behind the scenes footage which obviously got put into our uh, film which we called Whale Song. Whale Song did very well obviously because it was a, quite a few years ago but it was back in the day where it was only just beginning to be understood mm. that hang on a minute oh this tuna it's lovely yeah but do you realize how many dolphins were caught in the nets and yeah. and people like yeah oh that's such a shame but the tuna tastes fantastic you're like no no you've got to think about this and so we were able to um um with Greenpeace giving me some lovely footage as well um, and, and many of the places we, we got the message out there and the film won a few, you know quite a few awards and um, it's, good, went, um, it's good that you've done that and you, you oh man it's so important your skills to actually publicize and make and get that out to the, the people to see what's that but, but to be honest that that's the point having gone on later in life to work on you know, TV drama, pop videos, almost a hundred feature films. It's it, you've got to give something back. Because yeah. one day I'm going to go up to those pearly gates, and the guy's going to be there with a the big book, going like, "Yeah, that that herd of cattle running them through the Vatican. What what were you thinking? <laughs> you know." So I've got a lot to pay pay back for, and so we took the film to a lot of festivals. And we took what, it was only a 16 minute short, but it was made on 35 mil. And it was shown at a Spanish feature film festival where they had 12 feature films in competition. And they asked me to go because I thought, you know, it's going to be a nice little for the public, a little filler film in between and it, mm. getting the message out, wave the flag. Anyway, when it, and on the night of the awards, all the 12 directors, producers, cast and crew were all sitting in groups in the audience waiting. And they say, well, the public prize is won by Mike Valentine of Wilson. So, of course, I'm going like, what? So it's a little short film. So I go up on stage, clap, clap, clap. And you see all of the professional audience going like... Yeah, how nice for you. Well, hurry up and piss off because we want to get our award for what's going to be the main event, you know. Anyway, I'm like, oh, thank you, and got my award and started moving off the stage. And the, the, the compare is like, but wait, don't go away, Mike, because the overall winning film is Whale Song. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah, but all the people in the front <laughs> rows are like, like BAFTA or the Oscars going like, Really nice for you. How nice. <laughs> I'm ordering tuna right now. Anyway, so I went outside completely on cloud nine because it meant there was going to be a lot of publicity for the film, therefore more ways of getting the message out. And then at the end of the red carpet, street mime artists had made themselves into the shape of a whale on the on on the road stopping the traffic with all the press and the cameras there somebody throws a spear in amongst them and they let off inside a red smoke bomb so that all the blood the smoke goes drifting into the night sky with everyone going like what 
And of course, the next day, El Pais, the, the Spanish equivalent of the Times or whatever, they're going, what's all this about? So it was my little sneaky way of trying to um, uh, get the message out because you can wave a tin in the street and that's the first step, but why not sneak up on the naughty uh, world of, of um, you know, television, Facebook, radio, TV, you know, um, everything and try and get the message going from another point of view on a slightly wider audience. Of course, they can forget about it 10 minutes later. You only need one in 10,000 for the light bulb to go on, mm. try and get the message out, you know. And so it went on. We then went to the, the um, I got in touch with the people who organised the London Film Festival and said, I think I've got a film that you need to show. And they're like, oh, God, okay, what is it? And it was like me, blah, 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 dolphins. And they're like, Dolphins? And I, had zzz, zzz. I said, yeah. And um, Bill Oddie was on stage with me afterwards once we'd shown the film to the public, uh, doing a little compare and asking about how we made the film and everything. So I realised that there was a big sponge of the public. They want people, ordinary people want to know what's going on. This was, you know, 20 odd years ago. And of course now, you know, everything all the way up to Attenborough, but even kids at schools where I would give talks to I give quite a lot of talks to schools the kids are now so switched on and aware and the planet I mean we as, we as parents and older older people although you're in the section of younger people um as older people you know our day is done and it's time to hand over the reins you know to people like yourself and that's why giving talks to schools I love it because kids cannot um pretend to be um, interested. They're either interested or fast asleep in the back row. And I gave a talk to 400 kids in um, uh, their, their, not reception, but you know, they, they have a meeting every morning, don't they, the kids, you know, and they make announcements as uh, who's ever set fire to the school cat should come and see me and, and all that stuff. But anyway, um, I said, any questions at the end? And there's one kid in the sixth form who's been egged on by his friends. And he's like, Mr. Valentine, I said, oh, yes. I said, have you ever worked on a porn film? <laughs> you see the teachers with giant hooks trying to get this in, it's too late. And I thought, well done, man, that's great. So I waited for the laughter to subside, and all I could come back with was, that's where we met. <laughs> that's all I had. But, um, but for me, going underwater, I wanted to... to um, uh, look back and I realised that you know we always it's a bit like youngsters not knowing that their parents know anything about sex like well where did you come from <laughs> you know um, and so I soon discovered uh, Louis Bouton who's uh, this French chap mm -hmm. and that's a real engraving of, mm -hmm. of his apparatus and trying to get light working underwater and, um, and did more, more research to find out you know, it's a bit overused, but if we can see far, it's because we stand upon the shoulders of giants. And Louis Bouton was one of several giants who, back in the day, was a real pioneer. Not, oh, I wonder if your pictures are going to come out. No, I wonder if you're going to come back up, <laughs> you know. And um, that's led to, which we'll talk later, to um, my own um, uh, feature film, um, which is uh, sort of based on a made-up story of the life of Louis Bouton working in the Red Sea. But that's 
that you, you heard it here first folks that's another story so i wanted to do some a, a, a bit of research and i came up with um the, this picture being more or less the first picture ever taken underwater Gosh. and that as grotty as it is um that was made by an english guy called williamson and that was he i think he borrowed from the local pub the um the um uh the big fish box emptied all the fish and everything out into another box and and took that down with the camera inside and started taking pictures and williamson is sort of thought of as the first picture person underwater yeah. um but anyway so to cut um, uh, a long story sideways, I was very lucky to get into the, because how do you get into, it's one thing to make little short films and even have them put on telly. How did I make the jump into feature films? And that, you know, it, it, it's, it's it, at the end of the day, forget all that, um, that other stuff, you know, about, oh, he's, he's very talented. It's all rubbish. Um, it, it's, it's, it's having the good luck and the lucky break to show you've got the talent. It's accepted that most people could do the job. I mean, um, Marie Curie, I'm sure she was good at things at school, but she had to show why she um, was going to glow in the dark, you know. Um, and so for me, I, I had worked... My last job for the BBC was working on um, Live Aid on stage doing all the mics. Mm -hmm. And if you see the, um, the, the film a year or two ago about, you know, Freddie Mercury and Queen, mm -hmm. when the camera goes on stage, one of the guys in white was me. Only oh, I thought I was a really good looking 30 odd year old kid, not some, all right, Charlie. <laughs> all right, son, Queen who, bloody gay, you know, and, and so I was, I'm in the That's movie. The film, I, I like that yeah, it was good. And all that amazing, I, I worked on Live Aid. So all that stuff they did is completely reproduced. And they've done, there's even on YouTube, uh, a great site where people have compared the original Live Aid in pictures, images to, to the film. And they, they yeah. did an amazing job. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and he played really, really well. Oh, I thought he was, he deserved all the awards he won. It was absolutely, well, he was Freddie Mercury. I mean, you always know that an actor's done well when, when you say who else could have played him, you know. He's a villain in the new Bond film as well, isn't he? Um, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. We'll be talking about Bonds in a minute. Um, and so, a director called this is my lucky break a director called nick rogue who had directed man who fell to earth don't look now some quite really amazing films esoteric films um his office got in touch and they said oh we've seen that you do a lot of quite wacky underwater filming would you like to meet nick because there's an opportunity to go to the seychelles for two months to shoot underwater with Amanda Donoghue and Oliver Reed on a film called Castaway. Well, that would be an experience. So, <laughs> again, I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Really, I think EastEnders is still getting pretty good. I don't know. Maybe you could send it to me on Betamax every week. Maybe I'll think about going. Um, now, of course, 
it's like playing cricket. You play cricket for Surrey even, somebody's asked you to play for England, you, you, you don't say no. <laughs> so I went, yeah! And so I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity of going to work in the Seychelles um, with Amanda and um, with Nick, the director, and with, with Ollie, and I was, of which I have many stories, obviously. And that was two months working on a feature film. Now, that was my first paid job in the film business. But I had to re resign from the BBC because it wouldn't have been, you know, hi guys, got to have two months holiday, please. <laughs> they might have smelt a rat, I think. So I left the BBC um, after Live Aid and um, 85, 86, and then went and worked on Castaway. And then the director was Nick Rowe, was lovely. He said, oh, have you read the, the script? And I went, you know, oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, sir, yes, I, I've read the script. Oh, yeah. He said, oh, it's a piece of shit, he said. Throw it away. Make up what you like. Shoot what you want. And if it's great, people will think it's my idea. And I thought all movies were going to be as easy to work on as that. So I had the freedom to do really silly things like take the camera, turn it upside down so that the, the, the roof of the, the sea um, becomes the floor shoot at night with the light rays coming through in slow motion so it's a magic carpet of light and then take the girl and have her swimming upside down underneath the ocean surface but then with the camera upside down she's swimming the right way up yeah. on this magic carpet but of course that's what i've discovered after x um, films that i've worked on is that yes they may have some experience with diving but they haven't got the, 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 they don't have the experience to ask for some weird things that you can do. Um, and that's why I did that. I've got a question for you. No, I'm allowing you to ask one question an hour. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it when you watch, I'm going to generalise a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But often, and I kind of understand why, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Yeah. Is why is it when you watch films where there's scuba diving actually part of it, you know, you, they do it so badly, like uh, 47 metres down. Oh, because I didn't shoot that. <laughs> I know. That's what I thought. The physics of it, it's just don't like, it doesn't make sense at all. Like they're down at 47 you know, you, metres. You, you actually, seriously, do great question. Because... It would, it would be, it's a bit like when you see a baddie shot, even in cowboy films back in the day, and everyone goes, oh, you got me. And in real life, if somebody's shot, a lot worse things happen. But it's this, that's the exact point that I'm touching on. The writer or writers that have written that scene with the, with the person on diving, oh, and I'll just hold my breath from 50 metres down and swim up or whatever then not it's not written as if the, it's it's practical mm -hmm. and you know i would say that on every one of our films um we always try and put as much realism into the scene as possible because there's enough enough potential danger there with the sharks, with, you know, with whatever, to really frighten ordinary people anyway, to yeah. put your film star in. I mean, here we are, this was um, um, setting up to shoot 
uh, Tomb Raider 2. So, of course, she's got to hit a big shark on the nose uh, and, and, and go like, what are you doing? And then she's got to escape this tunnel with all the rubbish falling down. So, of course, she grabs onto the fin of the shark and is pulled along up to the surface. Uh, but with us adding a bit of realism, like, look, don't go all the way to the surface, let go and then swim up the final bit. But that's the point, isn't it? You've got to suspend disbelief. You've got to have the public on the edge of the seat going along with you. Yeah. But to be honest, you know, trapping someone underwater, having sharks um, and all of the other um, uh, potential problems. For instance, uh, here we are on a little short film where inside a trawler, there are some fish kept in a big tank. And um, uh, the baddie on the top pushes the girl in, but she manages to pull him in as well. And she's going to, um, she's got a hook in her hands and she's going to stab him in the back oh. <laughs> to stop him from swimming up. And um, this is uh, a little short film, a little movie that we did. And um, this is the girl um, in, from Dragon Tattoo. And there she is sort of attacking this guy but again, no real money, but I use the light reflecting off his shirt to fill the light on her face. So that, and look, there's no set behind. There's only a few bubbles and two plastic chains coming down. But with her pretending to stab the guy, um, uh, you know, as you do in your local swimming pool, um, that's a way of you using the underwater world, not without doing superhuman activities. But just saying, hang on, this, this, this medium of water, as amazing as it is, is trying to kill us as well as the camera. Well, you know, it's enough just to use your imagination. You could use the underwater world with the beauty of water wafting a girl's dress and her hair. You could make her into a ghost, mm -hmm. which we did for a Tim Burton film. And this is a ghost, a girl walking around a chandelier so that she looks completely... Um, as if she's just floating along in the water. So it's all about using the underwater world. And I think it's quite a nice line I heard once. Um, Invention is seeing what everyone else is seeing, but thinking what no one else has thought. And so why can't you have a Spitfire underwater? Where did you use for that? A for a vodka commercial. Was it? Yeah, there was a, there was, um, a vodka. Uh, commercial that we worked on where basically uh, again it's all rubbish but the um the purity of the vodka rejects everything from the sea so you see all of the planes and the air uh, the um, ships and everything thro being thrown out of the sea because of the purity of this vodka i think it helps you drink about well, 200 um <laughs> vodkas first um, so what do you do then when you've got um so you've got some filming work to be done underwater and yep. you've got a Hollywood A-lister come, come along. What, yep. and they've never done anything underwater before. Well, do you know, that is, that is, that is such, that's a great question because if you think about it, if you're in a one or two hundred million dollar film and you're protecting um, the actor, modern audiences, it's not enough that in three feet of water, You've got Kira Knightley saying, 
oh look and then putting a hand across her face and you cut to the wide shot with all the the, the, the hell of whatever's going to happen to her in the story we've got to try and shoot the actors as realistically as possible in the water so we start with something that we can talk about um late little later we would take them to somewhere like U stage the underwater stage at pinewood what is the single advantage the temperature of the water is raised to um is it 98 degrees whatever uh, blood heat so that when you're in the water you're all relaxed you ha you can control the visibility Every single actor underwater has a safety diver just out of shot. So if there's four people underwater, they've each got their own individual safety diver. And this happens. <coughs> Here are, um, uh, this is one I prepared earlier, um, yeah, which I'm going to have to find. Um, oops. <laughs> Modern technology. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I'm finding pictures. Oh, yeah, I was married before. My goodness me. They never, they, you know, my first wife divorced me because I wouldn't open the car door for her. Mind you, I was swimming to the surface at the time. Anyway, terrible jokes. This is horrible. Um, but what do you do with all these leading actors? Well, they turn up at 10 o'clock in the morning. If they're going to breathe um, compressed air, they will already have had an HSC, Health and Safety Executive, um, an HSC medical, which lasts about an hour to an hour and a half, because the idea is that you can't just, oh, that's okay, um, you know, <laughs> they can go underwater, they're fine. No, we, we, safety is the key, it really is. And we, we, we are so safe with the actors that we have to, uh, the very first thing we do, if they're breathing compressed air, so they can take a regulator um, or a demand valve, the British description of it, um, if they can take air underwater, they have to have a full medical uh, to see that they're going to be okay. Now, the whole point of that, obviously, is um, to find out medically, are they okay? Yeah. So there you go, they turn up on the first day, and they are going to be given to a safety diver whose only job is to check them out, give them the regulator, take the mask off, give them some drills, but very gently take them down to the bottom of the underwater studio. The underwater studio is um, only six meters deep, mm -hmm. so they can't go deeper than that, but that's still deep enough to get into trouble if they're going to hold their breath and go up. And... You have to understand one thing um, about um, actors. They, they, they are there to play the part of that person. So they want to do it. They may hate it. They may not like the idea. Um, I'm being very rude, just trying to find uh, uh, a few pictures for you. Um, they may not want to do it, but like Kira, for instance, um, they've got to go down underwater. So we give them a safety diver to very gently take them down to teach them. And then, so all of these um, uh, uh, people, this is exactly what they've done. Uh, this was on Tomb Raider 2 uh, with, with um, a certain actress. You don't want to see that, that's a thing. Um, here's another one. This person here had never been underwater um before this was on basic instinct 2 um with sharon stone uh this is uh, demi moore um this is jackie chan oh, yeah. um, spielberg and 
Yes, Clint. That's Clint. Yeah, we worked with on a, on a movie. Um, and so even though Clint was directing, he didn't go underwater. How do you take, you know, even James there's Bond? There's story about Clint Eastwood, isn't there? Um, about when he, years ago when he had a plane crash. Yes. And he swam three, I think it was three miles. Oh, he swam a huge, but it's Clint. Died, yeah, but do you know what I mean? It's just like the other day I was, what a surprise showing off. Um, to this to this um, waitress, and I had a picture of Clint on my phone, and she said, "Who's that? Is that your dad?" <laughs> yes, it is. It is my dad. Clint Eastwood's my dad. But I mean, even though the actors are nothing like their original persona, again, I found that's not to be true. Many of them are just an extension of the real person. And and why wouldn't Clint swim three miles, yeah. probably with a broken arm or something, you know, and get back? It's just like. Amazing. He, he is amazing. Have you so, had any actors or actresses that can't swim that have to do underwater? Oh, yes, many times. But the point is, for most of their work, you're on a sort of a head and shoulders. You can still use a body double for the wider shots. But if you've got people who can't swim very well, I mean, the diving equipment is just to keep them alive. So they can be standing on a little rostrum waiting to have a fight, um, say, for instance, in Skyfall, where most of it was on a little rostrum so that they didn't have to worry about their buoyancy of going up and down. Right. So now, they've the, got some like, uh, lead, in, lead in the jacket? Yeah, because that's the other thing. You don't want to see your, in, in a $200 million mm. film, you don't want to see your people, whoop, where they gone? Back in the, back right when we very first started this podcast, uh, well, three weeks ago, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just the other day, we did some we had a kind of photo shoot. Uh, All right, and uh, in our local dive centre pool, this is back in January, February time. January, right? Yeah. All right. And we surprisingly, even though you've got, I bought a suit, um, a, a proper, a proper, yeah, we had proper jacket, evening everything. dresses on, and and surprising, even with that on, how buoyant you are. Oh, you know, that's the problem. So it, that's an interesting point, isn't it? You're wearing a suit here because the water's very cold. So if we make the water very warm, don't need to wear a suit. Yeah. And the, other, the other trick is so that we, could, we can pretend we're in um, anywhere. Because if you're a little clever, being a black painted tank and backlit with the light rays... You could be doing anything. We also use um, green screen a lot as well, so that we can pretend, for instance, on um, a Tim Burton film, um, we wanted to have two, a boy and a girl land on a shipwreck looking like the Titanic and have them swim through it, the Miss um, Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Isn't that a good film? Yeah, but those kids were in... You stage swimming against green screen, but we created the effect Amazing. with green screen of looking like they're inside this huge yeah. old shipwreck. Also, for instance, if you want to do sort of a come dancing underwater, which we did for sport relief, you can put in all the weird lights and mirror balls and stairs and then have the people dancing here but there's a little bit of a flaw and everything, so the public see it as a um, a little bit of come dancing underwater. So and it's all about, I mean, for instance, cars underwater. 
you just take the car underwater, you have wires on the car so that it can move around, and then you've got the people um, trapped inside. Uh, that was on uh, was that? Basic Instinct 2, where we had Sharon Stone um, trapped inside. But you can be anywhere you want. For instance, this is a smelly old lake with an old bicycle and a car and backlit, but that's a new stage. That's in a studio. And yet it looks like it could be the bottom of a lake and we can put the actors inside and having them swim to the surface. What to studio a... did you film uh, Casino Royal where the, yes. the building collapse and uh, she's trapped in the in the lift? Oh, you mean this? Yeah, because that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so that she's, so, um, yeah, oh, well, thank you. In real life, Eva, and there's, there's obviously a Daniel trapped inside the lift. Never seen before photographs sharing with the world. Um, I don't, I'm finished with my testicles anyway. The, the broccolis can chop them off and often do. But there is, um, so there's Eva Green. Now that's an interesting one. Eva was scared of small spaces and scared of water. Wow. So of course, we put her inside a lift, which is like the smallest place on earth, <laughs> with me with a big camera stopping oh, her getting out. But the great thing is there that Francoise, my wife, speaks French. Eva speaks, obviously, French. Um, so they were, Foz speaks to her on an underwater loudspeaker. Yeah. Now, that's the other way of making somebody give a performance underwater that's who, who's a bit scared. Because no actor will tr in their right mind will trust the director saying, ah, you're okay, the shark's got no teeth, a powerful suck, yes, but no teeth, you're all right. But Francoise talks on a very high quality underwater loudspeaker system because when they're not wearing a mask and they can't see anything except the big white blob of my camera, she can sit on their shoulder and give them the confidence that somebody's looking at them. I've got to ask, so how does that work? Because like, I, I know my hearing is not great at the best of time, but I've just imagined you concentrate, as Eva must have been in that lift, concentrating on what role she's got to do and not all the rest not really of it. seeing i guess not really seeing yeah. Um, yeah. your wife is talking how did that's still got to be really difficult to understand what somebody's saying i know and on and i think probably the 40 million dollars that she got probably helped her a lot so that she could go back to her winnebago and just rub money in her body i don't well, know I maybe that helped um <laughs> that's another story about um so another actor in a minute which i'll tell you um but that's but that's the thing but if you think about it an actor on stage has got what we call the fourth wall they've got the public watching them they've got other actors they've got props they've got to hit their marks and they've got to give a performance so that you really believe that that girl is say Marie Curie dying of some terrible cancer caused to her because she wants to investigate what on earth's going on with this radium stuff and and make you the audience you've got to two, you've got to do two interesting things and it's just the same on film you are being invited by that that person to listen to their story and you want to believe them you've paid eight or ten quid to go in the cinema and watch people use their mobile phones don't get me started um and so that's the job of the actor however 
when they're on stage or when they're in a, a, a film or television studio, they're surrounded by equipment and people. We just turn the tap on and fill that whole problem up, adding to it with, no, I'll do the water, with, with the water, and they have got to stay alive underwater and then give a performance. Mm -hmm. So, but their professionalism, whether they're a man or a woman, their professionalism, whether you're doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, surrounded by 400 rats landing on your head, with Spielberg saying, you know, Mike, you know what's missing here? You know what we should do? You know that coffin that you're inside? Yeah, let's set fire to it. Yeah, fine, okay. Um, anyway, the point is, they are incredible professionals. Whoever teaches them underwater how to breathe, and remember the regulator is on a long piece of wood, a broom handle or whatever, so even if the dive is away a little bit, the regulator is there instantly and they give a sign, but they've also got Francois talking to them. Mm. And to a man or a woman, they get out of the water and they say to Foz, thank you so much. I really felt at ease and safe because they know that she's always looking at them and seeing if they're okay. Because, and that's essentially um, the, the, what you're trying to overcome. It's so true. And um, talk, thinking back to like when we, are teaching uh, with students, yeah. And you have to tell them that when we when you take your mask off, if we go to our local, you know, if we go to Stony Cove or whatever, and we, and we oh, say, yeah. well, you've got to take your mask off and yeah. clear it and all that. Often we've had people bolt; they they freak bolt, okay. bolt to the surface. I've, I've been in Stony Cove. And yeah, I mean, I've had that in Stony Cove where I had to grab somebody's leg and hold them down. Yeah, but afterwards, trying to explain to them I was saving their life, and yet yeah. it didn't feel like it to them. And but that's a fantastic uh, point that you've made in that that that's the whole point. But when they, if they are a bit nervous or a bit claustrophobic, or they don't like the cold or anything else, that especially in in good old Stony Cove, suddenly when you can break through. It, they, they almost thank you and go like, oh my God, I get it. And then the great thing for you as a teacher, a few years down the line, is perhaps seeing them teach somebody. Yeah. And you think, oh great, we've sort of passed it on. Yeah. Because we all owe it to, uh, to our friends to, to try and get them interested in the underwater world. Because even as grotty on a cold February morning that Stoney can look, there's still amazing things down there, like the helicopter or the bus or the, um, the house that's full of water. And, that, but, and that's, the, that's all we do. The only, the only step forward I make is that I'm, I, I might have, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio... Um, being attacked by a shark for the beach <laughs> with Leo doing his thing. Hello everyone, welcome back. So Gemma, did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was lots of fun. Lots of fun, yeah. It's that was really so entertaining, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, some of the video footage of our zoom chat will be putting on um because he shows us some photos and things like that so it's really good yeah yeah just and he's so passionate about the underwater world and getting that across to him it's not just filmmaking he is just passionate about the underwater world he is yeah 
Uh, and that does come across so that's really good anyway we have part of the waves here for uh, a quick interlude because we uh, thought it'd be best thing to do split this into two parts so a break for now and then part two will be coming back in the next couple of days i'll be back <laughs> we'll be back see you next time okay bye everyone i'll be back that's why I'm dreaming of the sea and the ocean breeze Waves crashing up me the surf ball beneath my feet Light and to the shore and speak I'm dreaming of the sea There's sails, projections, there's pretty